Hey, everybody. This is Mike Putt with Jasper Main Street. And Lauren Vance with the Walker Area Association of Realtors. <laughs> so how are you doing? How's your world? Great. Good. It's raining today, so yuck. So how are your 15 kids? There's only three of them. Three of them. None the of way them, you talk about them. None of them have cast anymore, so we've got to cast off, so now we're off and being wild. Okay. All right. Well, um... As before we get started, you know, we start with our southern moments. Yes. Um, well, I didn't really have a southern moment today. I had a senior moment today. Um, and I felt really bad about it, and I still feel bad about it. Uh, so I'm in the office. As everyone knows, my dog Tulula goes to the office with me. She's the mascot of downtown Jasper, Jasper Main Street. Uh, she writes a column. She's way more important than I am. And... Uh, but the problem is she doesn't make any money. But and she's over there asleep right now. I um, think she's been begging for food and well, Jeffrey it didn't brought lunch. But Jeffrey didn't bring lunch for anybody else, just himself. Thanks, thanks a lot. Um, it was a salad, so I wasn't really interested. Oh, okay, <laughs> so I'm walking out of the office and I'm multitasking. I'm texting someone or emailing someone on my phone, and I'm not good at multitasking, so I should stop. <laughs> okay, but I keep doing it. Um, uh, so I just walk out. I'm looking at my phone. I keep going. I get in the car. I'm halfway here to the studio, and I don't have Tallulah, my dog. You left her. I left her in the office. Unattended. She was safe, oh, okay. but I left her in the office. So our guest today is texting me and saying, hey, I'm here. I'm like, well, I'm on my way, <laughs> which means I was really back at the office picking <laughs> up my you dog. You were across town. <laughs> I was. Um, Your abandoned dog. Oops. My abandoned dog. Um, so, uh, Humane Society, you'll just have to come get me. Sorry. Um, I'm doing my best here. Y'all just don't know. We're struggling. We're you all know, struggling. I know. Walk, walk a mile in my shoes, okay? So, uh, anyway, that was not my su- uh, see, southern moment, but my senior, senior moment. moment. But you don't have a southern moment. But I bet with all those kids, you have senior moments often. All the time. Yeah. The garden is growing very well. We had a bunch of squash there. That's very southern. That I'm not growing the garden. My kids are growing the <laughs> garden because I would just kill it. But if I look in my backyard, there's this beautiful raised garden, and there's food that I get to eat from it. Well, you need to give those kids something to do for sure. I, you can tell Bradley Vance that because he's the one who started that project. Okay. Do you actually eat the food out of the garden? Yes. Which I don't eat tomatoes, uh-huh. but we grow tomatoes. Well, so apparently you have to grow tomatoes as a southern person. Well, that's a, a southern moment. If but Charlotte eats them. They're the little... Cherry tomatoes. Grape, grape yeah. tomatoes. Okay. All right. Well, that's enough about your garden. Um, it's going to float away <laughs> with all this rain. It's going to be terrible. All right. So today's guest is um, not only a friend of mine, but he, total disclosures, the president of Jasper Main Street. And he's got a really good story. I mean, aside from working with me with Jasper Main Street, he's got an even Poor better unfortunate story. unfortunate soul. Mm. <laughs> he's even got a better story, and this is Josh Gates. Josh Gates, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good. Happy to be here. Good. Tell us why you think you're here today. <laughs> I think we scare him. I feel like it's some odd type of interview for something. <laughs> Yet to be disclosed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a no. secret. We don't even really know. I'm happy. Everyone seems to be happy, so it can't be too bad. We are happy, and I don't know what's in that cup that Lauren has, but <laughs> she's happy. It's just Diet Coke for now. Okay, good. Uh, but 
Josh has a good story. Josh is originally from Jasper, Parts near Jasper. Kind of, sort of, yes. Like, I want to say, you know what? Just tell us where you're from. Oh, I can't. It's difficult. It's a tough question for me, actually. <laughs> moved around quite a bit. I uh, moved to Jasper the second half of my senior year in high school. Oh, yeah. Wow. In the year Mid, of 1999. Like of the year? A long time ago. Wow. Um, yeah. I think August or so. But that was your dad's, because of your dad's job. Correct, yeah. He, he um, became the pastor of Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Curry right. um, that year. So we, we. So is that where you went to high school? I mean, finished high school? Correct, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but you have a brother. I have three brothers. Three brothers. I've never met the third one. Where is he? Who is the he? The youngest or the middle? So uh, it doesn't matter. Are so you I, the oldest? I'm the oldest boy. I have an older sister. No, I've never Jennifer. met a sister. Wow. She lives in Birmingham, Vestavia. There's I've lots of Gates people. I didn't yeah. realize there were multiples of you guys. My yeah. sister has five kids, four kids as well. And oh, that's right. I've seen pictures mm-hmm. of your parents. Yes, with when we all, all get together, these, like, it's 30, 40 people. Billions it's just of immediate children. family. Mm-hmm. And, and Josh and Talia, his wife, a local physician, um, have two kids, but I've been to their house and it's really like five kids. <laughs> it looks like well, it's because they have a, a horse for a dog. <laughs> their dog is massive. Yeah, I'm glad that dog wasn't there that day because Tallulah would have freaked out. Uh, my wife has since um, uh, added a standard poodle to the mix who's inside, so we have chaos outside and inside as well now. But at least the standard doesn't shed. They, that's what they say. That's They're what not they supposed say. to. <laughs> Tallulah does shit. Other though. things still happen, so it's, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> uh, I would take care sometimes. <laughs> Depends yeah. on the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, so Josh, what do you do? I mean, tell us what you do <laughs> day to day. I don't fully understand it, and others certainly um, struggle with it as well. I own a digital media company. Um, Saturday Down South is the most well-known. Um, the parent company is Saturday Football, which is kind of a global media company, and we own different platforms, social platforms and websites um, primarily centered around college football. Um, we produce content, which drives traffic, and then we um, monetize that traffic. So it's a very simple business model, uh, and it's an enjoyable space. Um, it's college football. It's entertaining, yeah. In the South. It's big stuff. I've had some terrible jobs in my time. This one's this is not, not one that of terrible. <laughs> no. mm-hmm. This is a good gig, right? <laughs> yeah. It really is. And, it, and um, at this point uh, in our growth cycle, it, it affords me quite a bit of flexibility. With schedules, I'm able to work from home. Um, our headquarters is in Central Florida. Um, but we've since kind of gone as remote as possible. So shut down office spaces, um, lets us hire nationally and bring in talent from all over the country, um, which improves our product. And um, everybody's has some flexibility, and it was great leading into the COVID times because we were already kind of had found our stride with how to make that model work. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good gig. Um, yeah, but, okay, this is going to come as no shock, right? I don't follow any kind of football. How do I know you, y'all are shocked by all of this, football? right? You played a bit collegiately, though, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I barely know the rules. Burn out from your time playing. Oh, so yeah. Just, yeah. You I barely know the it. rules. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that that story is extremely interesting to 99% of our audience because this is the South. And it is football. It's always fun when you're watching ESPN and you hear them quote Saturday Down South. I'm like, hey, uh-huh. I know that. No, that's well, a, certainly a starting a business so, like that, college cool. football related, in the Southeastern Conference specifically, 
uh, is great. I mean, because it's not just about the sport. It taps into heritage and nostalgia, and it's what people talk about on the weekends. It's how people kind of gather together is, is around sporting events like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, it's a social thing, for yeah, sure. So it, it was a bigger play than just reporting on Oh, no, I get sport, it. You know? I mean, I grew up in the South. I get it. I, I'm just not a part of it, but I get it. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You've been here long enough. Come on. I know. Well, I mean, I grew up in Alabama. We'll go to I know you can't tell sometime. that by my accent, but I did. <laughs> um, but really, and, which is a great story, and you can tell as much about that as you want to. But the <laughs> thing that I think is interesting, more interesting, is that he's a, a he's okay. Are you in the Summit Club if you're? in the process or are you in the summit club if you've completed <laughs> i don't know if there is a club but i would love to be a part of it <laughs> do you uh, get a patch like it's <laughs> like a secret handshake and a patch there are patches in circulation cool. i don't necessarily have many <laughs> of them but no yeah, you know just uh post-military as a hobby or just as an outlet there's not a lot of comparable um hobbies and just things to do, I found once I got out of the military that it kind of compared to my experience there. And just kind of filling that need for um, adventure, I guess, and just, just experiences. And I also love to travel all over the world, love experiencing new cultures. And so just it kind of combined all those, like kind of scratch that itch of just needing some adventure and, and greater fulfillment, I guess I should say. Um, but also just traveling and experiencing other cultures. So it, it's a great way to travel climbing. I guess so, I should so for, for everyone who's not familiar with it, I call it the Summit Club. These are people who, now correct me if I'm wrong, go to all seven continents? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, I don't know, it, it, it is a, it's something to do. It's a measurable thing. But it's, it's climbing the highest peak on each of the seven um, continents is kind of my current pursuit. And tell us climbing. what you've done. I've done um, Kilimanjaro in Africa, Aconcagua in South America, uh, Denali in North America, um, 95% of Everest in Asia. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so close. Uh, weather, weather nixed that at the last minute, um, but was there for almost two and a half months, and it was incredible. Um, and so I've got a few lined up um, in, the, in the coming future to, to knock out Mount Vincent in Antarctica I may do over Christmas. Um, and there's one called... Um, Where's Mount Vincent? Antarctica. Okay. Yes, that's a that's wow. an experience. I mean, it's not a big tourist destination. No. Uh, so the rural nature of it and just the extreme you know temperature conditions uh, make it a a good challenge. All right. So tell us about your most recent climb. Your ninety five percent climb. <laughs> so again, the the genesis of of me climbing part of when you first started getting into it. I mean, everybody you, Everest is kind of always kind of looming in the background, um, and it was something my father in law tells a story. I don't remember this at all, but um, my wife and I were living in New Orleans at the time, and um, my in-laws came to visit. Um, They're staying in the guest room. They found like a piece of paper. I guess I'd been making notes on life goals. Who knows? But one of the things listed, he spared me of everything else that was written down because I don't recall it at all, so (laughs) that would probably be very embarrassing. Um, But one of the things I wrote, wrote on there on that list, and this is 2010, 2011, I guess, um, was to, to summit Mount Everest. Um, so I've been working towards that end, as long as just developing a skill set, enjoying climbing, climbing all over the world, out, even outside of the seven summits. But um, currently I'm kind of all in on getting that accomplished while the kids are younger and just it's just a good stage in life for me to devote the time and energy uh, towards doing that. But now I finally got the opportunity um, this summer 
or this spring, I guess, is when it started. We're in the summer now, but. Um, but now COVID postponed it a year. Yes, yeah, so I was supposed to do it last year. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, so this is okay. even once I got to the point of okay, we're going to do Everest now. It still had it's still two years even. In the and it was kind there. of touch and go this year, wasn't it? Right. Was so last year we were ten days from getting on the plane to go to Nepal, and wow. when the, when they canceled it, understandably so, but just disappointed, right? So right. It totally made sense, but it's tough. Um, but then it, so a year later. Um, Still, with COVID issues and and just travel restrictions and everything, it was still touch and go right up until the end. But all you can do is kind of prepare and be ready to go if it opened up. Um, I was going to have, when I first arrived, the, the plan was to quarantine in Kathmandu um, for seven to ten days. Um, as we were arriving, the government kind of relaxed that and just limited it to just, you know, negative PCR tests and we could head out, you know, start trekking to base camp. Um, so... It was touch and go, but once we got there, um, it kind of felt like it was um, kind of stabling out, stabilizing, and just yeah. it was, it was going to happen. So we kind of set out on our little, little jaunt to base camp. Um, little jaunt. It takes about 10 days to hike, but it, but it is, it's a straightforward hike, but it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's backcountry, rural. I love you know, all the Nepal. pictures you can yeah. see on your Instagram. What is it? Josh Gates? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. We'll, we'll My tag wife it manages our, that. I have no say, idea. We'll tag I think it it's on at our Josh Gates and underscore Summit Pursuits, something it, like that. It sounds right? like okay. that. But we'll tag it on the Instagram and Facebook page but so, so people can see. And I can't account for the, the specific economics, but it, uh, the Nepal area was devastated um, when climbers didn't come to the area. I mean, it's huge. It's millions and millions of dollars, probably much more than that, of revenue that you know a, a third-world country effectively is not, not getting. So as this year, as we were able to actually go, and, and we were prepared to sleep in tents and not actually stay in the tea houses that are along the, the trek to base camp. Um, but because there were not uh, many climbers and they they'd, uh, limited the number of people that were just going to trek to base camp, I think they, they didn't allow as many and just a lot of people didn't show up. Most of Europe was still locked down and limited um, in their ability to travel to um, – travel international anyway so that was a huge um swath of people that um wasn't there anyways regardless um we ended up staying in the tea houses because it was just our team of seven climbers and two guides okay um very few other teams in the area and there's enough tea houses in each little village that you can kind of spread out a little bit so that actually was fairly safe we felt good about that and just greeted with you know the owners of these tea houses and the local um, populations just in tears just so happy that we're there you know, we're spending money and, and just that they're able to stay open because they had zero revenue for almost a year and a half. Um, so so it, it's, I mean, you're kind of, it's two sides of a coin with some of that. But we, we were very conscientious, frequent, frequent testing, and we were all, the whole team was vaccinated before we went. Uh, and like I said, we just kind of were operated as just a little pod and tried to um, limit um, contact with other teams, and uh, it worked really good. I mean, it was, I think it was fairly safe. Um, and then we got to got to base camp um, on schedule uh, with with no health issues and um, no problems. It was a pretty cool setup. But you made us. I mean, you climbed. You climbed something that you weren't planning on climbing, or you. You added oh the yeah you added a, oh so there is a um, how do you say that yeah so the goal was always just to climb Everest and and. and my understanding, I have, I have, I didn't finish, so I never took the time to fully validate it. But my understanding is that no one from the state of Alabama has ever summited Everest, so that was a cool thing. It was, you know, it's 
I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but so that was always the goal. And then I got there, interacted with teams, felt really strong. I mean, I had trained really hard. I had I was experienced to be there, you know, and, and felt validated in that. And having conversations with one of the guides who I'd climbed with before really kind of pushed the idea of, hey, listen, there is a, a peak called Lhotse right beside Everest. Um, people have just started um, this combo climb of they summit Everest, come down and rest for a few hours, and then traverse over um, to Lhotse and, and, and summit that. And only, um, you know, a dozen or two um, Americans have ever done that. Like, it, it's still kind of a new phenomenon. Wow. And so I'm very attracted to low-percentage endeavors. <laughs> He's like, and yes, so, sign me up. That the, sounds the like a The easiest upsell idea. in history, you know, <laughs> so I was totally on board with that. So, yeah, so I, I, I added that on to the plan um, once we moved up. Um, and, again, it, it's, it's all just you're hoping for an opportunity um, with weather and everything to, to get to the top. Um, well, it probably means it means even more because you didn't get to summit Everest. What well, hurts more? Oh, but you did because the potential, uh, like it was expanded in a sense, like the the the, the magnitude. Yeah, just it just could, the seriousness of it, the yeah. scale of it, just the, the pursuit was even grander. I mean, it, it's not all about those kind of things. For me, being in the mountains, especially climbing big mountains specifically. It's almost like a spiritual experience for me. Like it just, I get so much out of it, just in self-reflection and just in just striving and pushing yourself, you know, to your limits and, and even beyond at times. Um, you know, you're you're interacting with people that you have never met before, and you're living in close quarters with them, and you're you're bonding over this really ex- extreme, you know, context of living that you're finding yourselves in, and you're all kind of you know pushing towards this goal that you know less than five thousand people in the the history of humanity have pulled off you know so it's, it's i mean it's kind of cool yes um, absolutely i feel like those become lifetime friendships no you oh. just like you're together for that your months you, and then you, you just you, go away you feel like these people are you're like kindred spirits and these are people that you would not typically like socialize with let's say um and then you're so close and you're so bonded over this but then or maybe it's just me. I mean, I'm, I don't keep up with people well anyways, but just once you're outside of that environment, you're back to normal life. It's just kind of like, eh, eh. You might cross paths However, on another mountain somewhere. True, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a few hundred people that climb, attempt to climb Everest every year, right? So it's a small community of people, even all these big mountains, like Denali. I mean, there's not a huge, it's not thousands of people that are doing this. So it, I, you're, you see people and you're familiar with people and, and you've uh, done some of this. So I'm sure I'll bump into them climbing around the world at some point again, and we'll have a great time. And then we'll go back to our lives. And I kind of like that scenario. Do you have to have, like, permits? Like, cause yes. you said they limit the amount of people. So, so and they were very restricted. At, but at the time that I went, and our team got there relatively early in the season, um, they, it was like around 100 permits they'd issued. And a typical okay. year, at, I, I'm fuzzing these numbers, but I think the typical year, the average is about 300. Wow. But... Four weeks later, Nepal just started dumping permits. So they were just giving it like out left and right, and it got over I think over four hundred climbing permits, which is a historic number. Um, now COVID, there was a uh, so our team. I tried to kind of briefly describe how cautious we were being or precautious, mm-hmm. um, and, and and even in base camp, base camp, a lot of people think it's just this huge just pit of just people and tents that are just all kind of integrated, mm-hmm. but it's over a mile long. It's this huge space. Yeah, I saw it as another yeah, picture, and, so and I did not expect we all this had huge our little, vast... We all had our little enclaves, our little, like, you know, 
sections and cubby holes of, of camp and we, when we didn't leave you know and our sherpa even our sherpa stayed separate from us um not far i mean we're talking 50 yards right but they had their separate area just to kind of keep again they're not vaccinated we are but they're more susceptible um, potentially so they kind of stayed in their own little group we didn't eat together we, we would speak right. distance and then when you're climbing it's a little bit different but you're also outside windy cold i mean it's it's a different environment not as not as i don't know uh but so they stayed separate even um and then they didn't interact with you know it's just a few villages that all the sherpa are kind of coming from but they didn't interact with their relatives that are in the next camp with the next team i mean they tried to keep all okay. that is but some teams either didn't do the testing ahead of time or just you know fluke things happen with this virus and, and they you know had outbreaks i did um, i think the daily mountain eagle shared yeah and, and a lot of it article. gets sensationalized like it's all it's you're referencing of all of base camp all of climbers when it's really just one or two teams of course you know and out of hundreds so you know that's when you're in that environment then you're getting texts and emails from people telling you about how it's being reported it's a little bit frustrating because um, the situation we ran into is because it was getting so sensationalized in the press that Nepal was then getting pressure to shut down base camp completely. Oh, and so wow. again, in the context of the previous year being canceled right before and then finally getting there, it was very touch and go the, the entire trip. They were, they were li literally going over plans to send the military to base camp to help just to clear it out. Um, that was avoided, thankfully. That's a very stressful environment on top of a Stressful it's something. I mean, you, you don't I mean, you don't dwell on what could happen. Yeah. You just kind of focus on the task at hand. And there's plenty. If they to focus come in on and there. take you out. Yeah. Then okay. If not, we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> Yay! But so, so this is this is Josh's like selfish take on the climbing. <laughs> it was all about me and me getting to the top, me right. having good weather, and everybody just chilling out. And there's no global context. Can we just relax, yeah. everybody? <laughs> just relax. Hi, this is Jennifer Coron, co-host of Left on Red, the Daily Mountain Eagles political podcast, and we're glad to welcome Bevel State Community College as a sponsor. Your story starts at Bevel State Community College. Whether you're just starting out or starting over, Bevel State has an opportunity that is right for you. With five locations serving seven counties, you don't have to go far to start your own success story. Plus, with tuition lower than four-year colleges, you won't need to spend more for a great education. Visit them online at bscc.edu to learn about your options for seamless academic transfer and high-demand career tech and health science offerings. Let them help you tell your story. But you know, when, I, when you were gone, I'm just in my home and the news comes on and they talk about a, a death there right where you were oh yeah they didn't say the name so i looked i'm like oh my goodness have we lost josh <laughs> like a cockroach <laughs> he's like a cockroach it's not that easy. uh no yeah so but i'm sorry that, historically that speaking there are fewer deaths this year than there ever has been or there has been at least in recent history um they there was a couple westerners um, that died of exhaustion, which is a, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, basically just, who knows? Causes to be determined that they, they should have turned around. Somebody lack of should, planning, lack of well, I mean, guidance, things you're, happen. You're pushed. I mean, you're, you're, it's, a, it's a huge toll on your body, and it, it helps to have somebody, at least for me, it, it helps to have somebody um, as like a fail-safe that's going to tell me, Josh, no. Like you're done. You're yeah. moving too slow. It's too late. You're 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 not functioning very well. You can't take care of yourself. We got to turn you around. As opposed to leaving it to me to make that determination, especially in that kind of environment. Um, 
it's it's just <laughs> it, it helps. So when you when you kind of cut costs, I think getting on some of these expeditions that don't have the support of the experience to really kind of guide truly guide you. I mean, guide is a very loose term on Everest. There's a, there's a lot of mostly well experienced, accomplished um, guides out there that that um, have very experienced Sherpa that are helping. But there's also a growing number of people that are just dudes <laughs> who just or look just trying to make money they cut the price by a third oh, attract yeah. people to come over nobody on the team none of the guys or the support staff speak english they basically send climbers up with the radio and maybe the, and they're just kind of in communication with the guide who stays in base camp while they go up on the mountain so if they can run into any kind of issue you're kind of on your own. you're in trouble yeah yeah um nobody's going to help you and you don't have anybody to look out for things that maybe you missed you know maybe I don't know, you, maybe you didn't put your harness on correctly because you're at altitude and you're not thinking clearly. You don't right. have your wits about you. You know, maybe you're out of oxygen or you're about to run out of oxygen because you're moving too slow. You know, maybe you're getting frostbite because, you know, again, you're running out of oxygen, moving slow, winds, those kind of things. You shouldn't get frostbite on Everest. Why? People just, it, it's a failure. You're, you're either moving too slow or um, you're you're out in conditions that you shouldn't be in but with, with clothing the way they are the way it's made and boots and things like that the technology is incredible as long as you're moving at a good pace which is hard to do if you're not prepared physically or you don't have the skill set to be there you're going to move significantly slower how which... did you train for this <laughs> so i get to ask that a lot and nobody's ever satisfied with my answer uh climbing is unique i mean overall global global fitness is is a big deal i mean I, so i'm always try to stay fit and i do long endurance form things where it's like multi-hour or even you know as i get closer to a climb 10 plus hours of just like sustained activity but it all just comes down to just carrying weight and walking and and climbing and navigating obstacles with the weight on um and so it's not really is any simple. great mountains to climb in yeah, Alabama. So, and and you don't train your body necessarily for altitude. Like you're 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 still going to have to overcome that unless you live at altitude, so to speak. But for the most part, it's just carrying heavy weight on your back for long, sustained periods of time. So if you can do that, and then you can um, then you have a strong mountaineering background. So you've been in the mountains a lot. Uh, you know how to camp and survive. And self care is critical. Like taking care of yourself recognizing signs of problems, preventing those problems, taking them off, not letting them fester. Uh, that's all critical things, too. How much weight were you carrying? Uh, I don't think we ever... Everest is, a um, unlike most mountains, is supported. So you have people helping you and carrying loads up oh. and doing... And, and we make multiple trips up the mountain because as, as we're acclimating, so we're not having to carry everything at once and just make one push. You're going up and down multiple times. That is what so I was you carry, fascinated So you carry by. loads and drop it off, and, and then your, your exposure at that higher altitude is good. But then when you come back down and rest at a lower altitude, your body's able to recover, but also kind of start producing more red blood cells so you can you know, deal with the I didn't realize oxygen. you would rotate up so many times, up and down. I was... That's, that's another question you get a lot. It's just like, I thought you just, like, what you are you doing? just go up and that's why, it. Why are yeah. they just, like, just, what are they doing? Like, nobody understands, like, the fact of going up and down, but um, it's it's just the best way to acclimate. And it's a true difference, you know, four or five weeks into the process, like how, how much better you feel at base camp and then as you move up. Wow. And um, we climbed to... 23,500-ish feet without oxygen. Um, and then from there, um, we started using it, and it's, it makes a huge difference. 
And those were just tanks that. Or yeah, they they weigh about sixteen pounds. You wear them in your backpack with your with your, all your other gear, um, and you just have a, you have a mask that you wear on your face. Um, it the the biggest benefit is that it uh, kind of keeps your um, core warm, which lets your body kind of naturally like keep your extremities warm. Um, so th- that's another thing that helps like, against frostbite and things like that. Well, who made the decision? Did someone tell you? Who made the decision to abort? Yes, that, that's not a decision I would make. <laughs> I'm not second-guessing I, I kind of got that I'm feeling. not the decision made, but I, in my stubbornness and just, it was, we were so close. Like, I, I, I'm not a, a strong enough person to, to, to just call it off. But, yeah, no, we had gotten to 26,000 feet, which is in the death zone. Um, great weather. Um, the context of us going up, we were the only team that did. Every, no one else wanted to, uh, thought they could pull it off, but there was two cyclones that hit um, Everest within a week of each other, uh, which wow. is one every now and then at some point that's not a big deal, is happens every few years, I guess. But two that were pretty significant back-to-back like that was uh, – and it, again, yeah. it's already a fragile year. You're overcoming so much to get there. Right. And then you have two cyclones that are hitting – like. I, even just trying to process all that in the moment was crazy. But so one had just wrapped up. All the teams are on the mountain had been, I got, got stuck at camp two, which is at 21,000, 22,000 feet um, for like five to seven days. And you typically don't spend more than a day or two um, that high up. Um, and, and so they were having to have Sherpa come down and resupply them with food and oxygen. Um, and, but then as that first cyclone started to break, um, there's that, that same group, as weary and battered as they were, were able to push up and summit. Um, quite a few climbers there summited, and that was the second big summit day of the season. But that was, there was only like two or three the whole year. Um, and so they were coming down as we were kind of pushing up. We thought we could get up um, in, in between the cyclones and, and at least be coming down as the outer bands of the second mm-hmm. one were hitting. Mm-hmm. Because we, the, the fear was because the second one was so much more significant that it would just shut down the season. Yeah, that would be it. It, it, it would eat up the last seven to ten days of the season, and then it would be over. Uh, so basically the teams that didn't go for it would just – There. They would have gotten to base camp and hung out in base camp for six weeks, and just and that was their experience, and then they'd just get told to turn around. So we were trying to avoid that kind of scenario. So we're like, at least let's go for it. Let's give it a shot. At least be in position to summit if it works out. And we had one of the stronger teams on Everest, actually, really good group. And we were able to push quickly, and we got up to Camp 4 um, ahead of the storm. Um, I have this beautiful picture from the tent that I was, that was in at Camp 4 looking at the summit of Everest. It almost looks like you could touch it just stretching your arms out. Uh, and you could see from the valley the, the clouds coming up. We also thought uh, there was a potential that the storm would not get up that high, like it would stay low, and it wouldn't get up to 8,000 meters. And so even if the hurricane was hitting the mountain and devastating the lower mountain, that up, up we would be above the storm and still be able to operate. Um, but that wasn't the case. So we got to Camp 4. Um, we're taking a break. Uh, I think it was probably early afternoon, 1 or 2 p.m., and we were looking at starting our summit push around 9 or 10 p.m. that night. So we were getting gear together, um, refitting, getting food. I was eating soup at the time. And all of a sudden the winds that were um, – sustained at about 20 to 30 miles an hour all of a sudden we started getting gust at 60 plus and it was just ripping tents apart and it was just really intense the sky completely covered in it with clouds um you started getting sleet and, and, and snow flurries that were getting really thrown around with the wind that was ripping holes in tents like it was you got crazy and it just stayed like that and so we're all in our tents 
and holding on to the I'm tents saying, to keep them from blowing away. Right. And that was pretty much how we spent the next two and a half days, just waiting for the weather to break. Uh, we had two different summit attempts all, during that two and a half day period where it was just, it was hour by hour. We just stick your head out looking to see what the weather was doing, <laughs> do hoping to something, yeah. and it just never materialized. Oh. And so then we were in a situation where low on food, if we're going to sit, because you're on oxygen too, like you don't, you can't be off oxygen okay. where it's not, I mean, for our purposes, we weren't going to be off oxygen right. up there. Um, and so we were going to either, we were have to ask Sherpa to go down and get food and oxygen and bring it back up. And this is a, a group that was kind of bare bones to start with. Like we didn't have a huge group. Uh, and we also lost a couple guys that mother died. I mean, just different things. We had, mm-hmm. I think we had one guy who had symptoms. And so uh, we sent him back to, to Kathmandu just as a precaution. Right. But so we were down a couple. And so we just put more work and the ask was bigger for the other Sherpa. And so the weather was impossible, first of all, because we need to be able to get up and down before dark. And just the conditions were just, it was beyond not safe. I mean, it was not a tough call there. But on top of that, even if we were going to try to push it um, and risk it, the Sherpa were exhausted, and they told us as much. And so just out of respect to them, right? And just, just the context of it all. And plus, I mean, I mean just, I don't know. It, it, was, it was the right call, but it was totally devastating. Just to be right there, the, the hardest, all that we've done all the work, all the hard stuff was behind us. You just have a summit day, yeah. just, you know, six hours or maybe less, maybe five hours with our team, as strong as we were to get to the top of the world. And just, we were, it just falls. Everest is 8,848 meters and we had climbed a little over 8,000 of that. So we just had just a little jaunt, less oh. than 3,000 feet to the top. So that, I mean, and that, that doesn't ever happen. Like that was, in fact, you'll, you'll, there's accounts of, like, Alpine Ascents, like, got to the, you know, Camp 4 and didn't summit and had to turn around. I mean, that's, that's all everybody was talking about. Like, this, it, I was with a very reputable group, one of the original um, commercial guide outfits on Everest since they started doing it. It never happened before. So 3,000 feet is, like, from here to a part of downtown Jasper. Yeah. But it's it's at you know you've got a quarter of your oxygen. I realize it's, it's, yeah, I realize yeah. it's and there's technical climbing, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but uh, still, but, but it's, it's still it's, so it's still it's still a relative amount, and you, your line of sight is the same, and you can see it. It's just right there, and and just I don't know. It just, it was um, it was sudden, and then we had to go down, and so then we had to descend in this storm, uh, and that was that was difficult. We had a, a, a climber that was really struggling, wasn't able to stand and walk on his own. So you have a, a, one of the guides is you know, tied to him and, and helping him climb down. And you're on, you know, 10 foot wide packed ice and snow shelves on a sheer vertical face at 26,000 feet, trying to navigate down with somebody who is totally out of their mind, mask, keep pulling their mask off, just isn't thinking straight, can't see snow blind. And then we had a Sherpa who went snow blind as well. And so we had to, we're trying to get them down and these just sheer faces and, and, and blizzard with blizzard conditions and high winds and, you're not moving very fast because you're assisting people down. So people are getting beginning stages of frostbite, and you're trying to avoid that. So you got to keep moving. We have guys taking shelters and just random tents, just trying to get out of the wind for a minute and get a breath. And it, it just it took forever. It took the whole day to to get down to camp too. Wow. Um, so, but but that helped actually because it helped me feel better because it helped reinforce that the right decision was made up top. Right. Because. Just in that moment, again, I, I would not have made that call. So basically it was the Sherpa who made the call. 
that no, our, our guides made the call that the weather was was not sufficient. But our guides were really trying to find anything that that they could justify, like trying to pull it off, um, as risky as it would have been. But then, in, in the conjunction with that scenario, conversation with the Sherp and realizing how exhausted they were and what the ask would be of them if we were going to try to just stubbornly do it, mm-hmm. that yeah, kind of solidified the outcome. So. Uh, so I got 95% of the average experience is what I tell people. I got you. <laughs> I, I know that you have some kind of equipment with you, but, I mean, how did you know about the cyclones? I mean, you had – somebody had to have some kind of radar. So – and that's another benefit of going with a reputable company uh, is their access to the top-notch, like, weather reports that are out there as opposed to just what's on the, what's on the web, right? So – we had a we had a guy specifically for our team um, that we paid who's I think I believe he's in in Antarctica, um, just looking at weather and just, it's just customized tailored tailored reports. Big mountains such as this make their own weather and they also influence the weather suddenly. Um, so you're still doing the best you can with something that's relatively fickle. <laughs> you know it, it changes from minute to minute, but you're just trying to get a generalized outlook over a 24 to 48 hour period of time. You, outside of that window, it's very unreliable. So, um, yeah, so we had people, and we were in constant communication, our guides at least were, with them, with updates and projections. And we knew the weather was going to be bad as far as blizzard conditions, but uh, we were looking at the wind um, dying down to at least less than 30 miles an hour, 30, 35 miles an hour, because we felt like we'd climb in those kind of conditions despite everything. But it just it, it was so much higher than that. And it just stayed so much higher than that. And we just never got the decrease in wind that we were hoping for. Um, so, but we gave it a shot, you know? I, I mean, this, this story to me is just so interesting. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to smile at the guest, you know. <laughs> I'm not smiling at him at all because I'm like, I'm, I'm, People laugh I'm, I'm me all with the time. you. It's okay. <laughs> I'm with you on this. Yeah, come on. Like, you're describing it so well. I'm like, I'm, I'm with you on the side of a mountain, snow blind and oxygen deprived and but but okay this is nothing i would ever want to do um what what's the what's the attraction of you know kind of risking your life the the, well first of all it's it's not as big a risk as it sounds when you're qualified to be there so so i have a resume i have a level of experience that supports that so i I can take care of myself things happen outside of your control but i mean driving home after this meeting here will be the most dangerous thing I'll ever do in my life. Um, so it's just, there's things that I can't control. And well, really nothing we, we any of us actually control, but, um, but yeah, but being qualified helps and it mitigates that risk quite a bit. Um, but the pool is the adventure. It's the unknown. It's the growth. It's just, it's challenging myself. It's, it's the, I have kids. So it's the legacy I leave to them just about striving for things. You know, it's, I never, you never want to experience yourself, but, you know, achieving the goal isn't as valuable as is the journey towards the goal, right? Mm -hmm. To get philosophical here for a minute. So, um, yeah, so (laughs) it's devastating and I I don't like to fail and I've never not gotten to a summit of a mountain, but that's part of mountaineering is just the weather component and and injuries and things that happen. Yeah. yeah. But if that wasn't a possibility, it wouldn't be, the challenge wouldn't be as great. You know, more people would do it. You don't want so to be an facing, Everest landmark or well, not in an unfavorable position. Right. You don't want to like land in like <laughs> well, like a yoga pose or something that's just not flattering and and be a marker exactly. for the next three you don't decades. Want to do that. Yeah. 
Um, no. And, and it's, I, I, you don't push it that far, but you shouldn't have to. Like, at the end of the day, when it comes down to a, the actual climbing aspect of it, with the right experience, it's just another mountain. Yeah, and I know I'm, I'm not a climber, but you, you've used this word a couple of times, failure. I, I just don't see this as a failure. Uh, you didn't get to the top of Everest, but wow, look at what you did do. Um, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't characterize it like you do, but I'm not you and I wasn't there. <laughs> so no, and you, and you're kind of say that. And I don't, sometimes that's just the easiest word to, to use, but I'm not, I don't feel like I failed because I feel like I was fully prepared to be there and I was in great condition at that last, uh, you know, at camp four, ready to go to the summit. Right. I was in, in great shape. I was ready to go. Um, it just, it just, so I can, so I can, it, it's more palatable. I can, I can, I can handle it not working out, but there but, was a goal that was not accomplished. And so I, I, and maybe it's just me, but I need, I need the chip. So don't take the chip away from me. I want that on my shoulder because that'll fuel, you know, future endeavors. Right. So, so why do I feel like you're going back at some time in your life? I don't know how I don't. <laughs> You know, I, I would love to have. Now like, it's like looming. I would love to check that box and move right. on, but the unchecked box, like it's 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 every minute. Like I just think about it. Like it just in that vision of that stupid picture I have <laughs> of the summit from my tent on Camp Four. It's just right there. But it's so I have to go through two and a half more months of that all over again just to get that last three thousand feet. You know, it's, it's absurd. But. It's just how I'm wired. I don't know. I just, I can't, I, it's, it's, it's unfinished business. But did you say, and it's, I, again, it's in the context of lessons to my kids, like me being successful at everything the first time and working out, that's useful, I guess. It's something. Yeah. It sets an expectation perhaps of success and attainment, but how I deal with failure is also a tremendous lesson for them. Absolutely. And then also the fact that I don't just give up on a dream because it didn't work out the first time. So I don't know. I mean, it's too deep or whatever, but, um, a lot of lessons there. I feel like there are people out there listening that said, God, I wish he would have been been my dad. Uh You know? So, um, but, but what is your next summit? Um, on the schedule right now I'm looking at, uh, Mount Vinson in Antarctica. Uh, oh, do that yes. over December, January, potentially. There's also May this fall do the Matterhorn, which is an iconic peak in the in the Alps yes. in Europe that I've I've always wanted to climb. So I'm kind of so the big mountains is is it, that's that's what I love to do. That's my passion. Is is a huge high altitude expedition type climbs around the world. I like that. But there's also just mountains that are not as big that are just fun climbs that I have kind of gotten away from in my focus on singular focus on, you know, Everest. Right. So I kind of want to just have fun climbing again. So I, I may do that this fall, just do a quick trip uh, to Europe and, and do the Matterhorn um, because it's a mountain I've always wanted to climb and it's cool. It looks awesome. It does. It's, it's just a fun rock climb, you know? Okay. Well, I'm tired. It's <laughs> <laughs> a I lot. Mean, this has worn me out. I mean, I've been on that mountain with him, in my mind, of course. You have um, to see the pictures. I really, I, I'm excited to share them because I was, 
every time I would see your wife, like in the car line, I was like, okay, so I saw the new picture. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, Perhaps I didn't sum it just because I forgot to bring a cardboard cutout of your face, <laughs> and I could have brought you more tangibly with me on the on the journey. I'll do I'll do that next time. The, that was you didn't it. have the inspiration. I'll, I'll do. I put my arm around the cardboard head mm-hmm. of Mike Putman. Right. It'll be, it'll but then awesome. got to hold on because we don't need him to fly off That's or true. anything. I have to tie him down. Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yes. Well, anyway, this is. I've just been enthralled by the story. Uh, but thank you, Josh, for coming and. I, I just don't know what else to say. I mean, he's totally upstaged anything I I've like ever done in do life. Like lunges or runs or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Instead of I'm going really, to I'm eat really lunch tired and... of all these fit people walking in this studio. We really got to rethink our aim. I know. I realize that's like an underlying mm-hmm. thread. Maybe yeah. that's something <clears throat> subliminal that we're working through. Maybe so. Maybe. But anyway. So uh, check us out on Facebook at Walker Voices. That's how I, that's what I take care of. I take care of the Instagram, Walker Voices. So check us out there. Um, and this podcast and all of our podcasts are, are probably on any platform that you could use or that you use for podcasts. Um, so thanks for being here. Thank you, Josh. Absolutely. We're just glad to have you home. I feel like I can take a breath. I know. I've got to go take a nap now. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Walker Voices is a DME Media production. Copyright 2021, Daily Mountain Eagle.